0: This message is brought to you by Heartland Family Fellowships. Hi, my name is Steve Finney and I will be your speaker today. We thank you for listening in on our podcast and hope that the Lord does bless you as you listen today. Today we are going to cover some more finite details in regard to the biblical view of unity. It's um, going to begin to open the door to uh, some very serious challenges for us, i.e., like one of them being last week, um, me challenging you to put someone's name in that prayer uh, that you have a very difficult time Maintaining unity with, or even coming to unity with for the first time. Um, but before we get into that, what did you walk away with uh, after last week's message? You'll find a wife. <laughs> <laughs> well, that day will come, you know.
1: <laughs> yeah. And so it was really precious how his grandfather was able to give instructions that... No, there was a picture there that that Steve was explaining, and um, <laughs> he missed out on that, but that was really interesting that here we had a little one that was in the midst, and we tend to think that children do not listen, and it is not true. Um, in our home, we had lots of Bible studies going on in our home all the time. And it was amazing how the children, the thing that they would catch was, he said that, Daddy, is that what that, you know? Um, So that was really precious to us that he understood. But the other thing, whoa, if he would have kept that, not understanding that, that would have been kind of panicky Well, it was panicky for him. (laughs) Yeah,
0: and... That is actually one of the refined details of family integrated worship is everything spoken in a family integrated service is the head of the home's responsibility to go over the sermon with the family again yeah. in the middle of the week or even on that day to make sure that the children understand from a perspective that the parent knows they'll understand. Mm-hmm. That That's kind of the whole point behind family integrated worship. Mm -hmm. And uh, the other thing is, when there's not a a head of home, you have a single mother, an abandoned mother and child, or whatever the case may be, um, it is obviously the mother's responsibility to make sure that those scriptural principles are communicated so that their children or grandchildren can hear them the way that uh, they know they'll understand them. And lastly, if there are um, orphans, for example, and in our case I put our divorced children in that category, um, where the mother does not have any understanding because she may be unsaved or whatever, she may be visiting on the same level her children may be. It is our responsibility as not just the senior pastor, but it is our responsibility as the body members to be watching the facial expressions of the children, the mothers, the fathers, to make sure everyone is getting it. So we can ask the question, do you think your son got that? Uh, Do you, you know, well, no, I didn't even get it. Well, then it's body life. It's you helping that person understand the message of truth. The big difference is primarily... The senior pastor in this integrated worship is not King Tut. It's the body. It's the full body of Christ. But the elders/slash senior pastor is to provide leadership structure to get that accomplished. Yeah, and that is the that's the uh, critical piece when. We follow the tree of knowledge as Christians. Those of us who claim that we have had some type of born-again experience, we're claiming that the Holy Spirit has indwelt our mortal beings. We are making a claim that when we die, we are going to go to heaven, and we're going to live eternally with Jesus Christ, our husband. The basic doctrines of salvation... And then we turn around and walk after the tree of knowledge. Debate comes from the exact same word that debt comes from. It also comes from a Hebrew word of, I'm going to use the the word worm because back then they didn't use worms on hooks. But it is bait on a hook. It's seductive. It's very tree of knowledge oriented. When you're debating someone, you are purposely planning to use certain words to orchestrate a bait, to throw out, to capture someone to your opinion. (coughs) Now I want to give you the Hebrew definition of opinion. If you take the o off of opinion just in the latin what do you have pinion what's opinion it's a wing so opinion is actually a demonic term it's an oppressive term it is it is saying you must be under my pinion it's oppressive Man is not to have an opinion. The tree of knowledge is all about opinions. and Satan is an angel of light, and he is trying to gather people through their own intellectual rights underneath his opinions. And then what he says, for you to be able to accomplish this, I want you to think they're your thoughts." Oh, which is ownership. These are my thoughts. These are my ways. And in, in reality, Satan has is, is, got us duped. Thoughts only come from two power sources. What are they again? God and Satan. There is no self-thought power. There is no third God. There is either God or there is Satan. So, Thoughts from God come through Christ that is in you, that empowers you through the Holy Spirit to have a spiritual thought. Now, I'm going to give you my uh, my counseling scripture that I use for counseling. It's also my preaching scripture. So just for the fun of it, I want to jump in and, and very quickly talk about identity. This is very, very critical in understanding the mind of Christ. So, uh, move over to, I believe it is, yeah, I, I always think Second Corinthians. I, I don't even know if Paul numbered them that way. just Letter 1, letter 2, you know. Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter two. There's some very, very, very simple things that 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 Paul is saying here. Chapter uh, two, verse one. He says, Paul says, when I came to you. Now let's let's remember here that Paul was the most educated man in the world before he got saved he was he was the high priest of all the priests he started his training when he was 6 years old they started training him to lead a synagogue and ultimately lead all of them so here is a young man that had been picked out as The Jew of all Jews, the Hebrew of all Hebrews, they trained him in ways we do not even know today, but we do know this man was incredibly brilliant. Now, that's his background. His whole life is education, 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 just packed full of books falling off of the tree of knowledge and the in tr- the books that are dangling from the tree of knowledge are not are not just uh, evil books or bad books or bad cartoons or, or bad stories there is good side of the tree of knowledge and the bad side of the tree of knowledge and both good and bad are bad. The only good that is righteously good is what is on the tree of life. There's no debating over there. It is accepting the identity of the tree of life for what it is. No debates. No theological arguments. No building schools on it. It is what it is. Over at the tree of knowledge... There are thousands, if not millions, of schools that have been built to wrangle over words to prove opinions. Come under my wings. Come under my thoughts. If a man's not preaching from the Word, he's not preaching. He's teaching. That is the difference between preaching and teaching. Preaching is being overpowered. Teaching, anyone can do it. I'm telling you. Anyone can do it. But a preacher, God has set them aside. That's why it's one of the gifts of the Spirit. So is teaching. Teaching's not a bad word. God is just saying anyone can do it. With their oppressiveness oh, of their opinions. That is a word picture I hope you never forget because it, that is how God communicates about the simplicity of his word. So here's Paul, verse 1. He says, I'm coming to you and when I did come to you, I didn't come to you with persuasive words. Someone read those, the first two verses for us. They're actually quite profound.
1: Chapter two And when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority
0: of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Okay, now now think about this. This is a man who is so stuffed with knowledge. And he's saying, For I, Paul. Determined to know nothing except for what is it again?
1: To know Christ and Him crucified.
0: That's it. That is the basic, fundamental, real life doctrines of the tree of life. No arguing, no debating. No endless schools anymore. No seminaries. No no theological wrangling. It is simple. Paul said, I'm not coming to you anymore with all these fancy speeches. I'm going to tell you. And he did. There's a lot of writings on Paul. Three-fourths of the New Testament is from Paul's writings. So there's work involved in this faith. But he's not saying... I'm not orchestrating these fancy speeches for you anymore. (coughs) What I say better be sustained on knowing Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Life and death. That's it. So Satan's over there at the tree of knowledge. And he is just luring hundreds of thousands of people over to this tree. And what does Jesus say in the New Testament about the wide road versus the narrow? Anyone? How many are on the wide road? Many. many. How many are on the narrow road? Few. Few. You've got a handful of people over at the tree of life who I would refer to as real true believers. And you have hundreds and thousands and millions of people. Ninety percent of them, they say, are religious—Baptists, Charismatics, uh, Muslim, Buddhists. There's three thousand and you know, two denominations or religious Christian religious sects in America. Do you understand that? Three thousand two are registered online. 1st Baptist, 2nd Baptist, 3rd Baptist, 4th Baptist. It goes on and on and on. And they're all hanging out over at that tree of knowledge and they're all proving their points to each other and its fruitless discussions. There's a handful of people hanging out over at the tree of life and all they want to know is their husband. They just want to know Jesus. And the fact that he died on the cross for for their sins and and, and he gave them new life. I don't know if you guys know this or not. It's a very fascinating piece of of history. But the orthodoxy Jews and even the liberals, but I'm going to give the orthodoxy Jews the credit for it because those are the ones who proclaim the doctrine. They believe that on top of the hill in Jerusalem, where the Dome of the Rock is, is where the Tree of Life was. I believe that as well. I believe in the end, all wars of all wars will be focused on that hill, the Tree of Life. I also believe there is proof which they also say, which I join them in belief, that the tree of knowledge is over in Babylon. So we're not talking about when Eve was hanging out at the tree of knowledge that she was a few steps away. That's why I don't support that doctrine. God put these trees far enough apart in this garden, and the garden is the Middle East. Another interesting piece of fact from the Bible is the New Jerusalem. What is the square mileage on that? Anybody? 1,500 square miles. 1,500 high. It is a cube. If you take the center of that 1,500 square mile cube and set it on the center in Jerusalem on the hill. I've done this in a map. That 1,500 square miles, which is most likely the perimeter of the Garden of Eden, that 1,500 square miles covers every country mentioned in Revelation in the end times. 92% of those countries as of last week are Muslim. We are very close. And they're all fighting over the identity of this hill. Satan wants the spot of the tree of life. He's never going to get it. I don't care if he builds a fancy gold-plated building on top of it or not. It will be taken back. That's how simple this battle is. Tree of life. Or the Babylonians, tree of knowledge. Do you realize the first university in the world was formed in Babylon? The first educational institute. So this is huge to God. All for the simple fact of identity. So therefore, here's what we've got. Whatever a man thinks, in his heart is what the scripture says, but whatever a man thinks, since we're using the terminology of mind is what He is. If I think I'm, you know, King Todd and I'm worth blah, 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 that's how I'm going to act. If I think I'm humble and just desire to know Jesus Christ and Him crucified, then that's how I will be. So now, we have this issue of thought. Thought. So let's take a look at that. Same passage. Verse 3 says, And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. My greatest fear is public speaking. Always has been. When I first started public speaking, I would have a drink because I would get cotton mouth. Still carry a drink whenever I speak. But a lot of times I can't get it to my mouth... So I can't drink the thing while I'm speaking. So I'm talking with cotton mouth. That's how bad it was when I first started preaching in my early years. God has never taken that fear away from me. I went to a very wise prayer warrior. His whole ministry is intercessory prayer in Denver. And I went to him and I told him of my dilemma And I thought he was going to lay hands on me and pray over me. And I was going to walk out the greatest preacher in Denver. No. He looked at me and he told me to sit down. He did come over and put his hand on my shoulder. And he says to me, Have you ever considered that God needs this fear to be in your life because of your arrogance? Well, I dropped the debate with God that day. So now before I come out to preach, I say, God, here here am I. Send me and keep me dependent. Fear with much trembling. Paul was not the fear, and much trembling type before he got saved. So then he goes on and he says this, And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. So, here is what our desire should be. To have the preaching, which we all are not capable of doing, should be doing. Our preaching, which is being overpowered for a teaching should be by the Spirit of God. Now the question is, where is this Spirit? Is it outside of us, or is it inside of us? Now we have to make sure that people have been saved, born again, asked Jesus Christ to indwell their bodies, or they don't get this. They'll never have it. They'll have to use opinions even if it's teaching God's word. I've had, un, I've had preachers in my office who thought they were saved. One guy was a preacher in Kansas City. He was the pastor of the second largest church in Kansas City. Thousands and thousands and thousands of people would come to listen to him every Sunday. Something was wrong with him. He started breaking down inside. He didn't know what it was about. He comes to Phoenix, goes through some counseling. And whenever we counsel pastors, we tag team them. So Jack and I were working with this guy. And, and so we were just going through the teachings. And, and all of a sudden, he, he stopped us. Because here's this famous pastor, you know. But he stops us and he says, Whoa, 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 back up. Are you saying that you actually have to ask Jesus Christ to come inside your mortal body and live? And Jack and I looked at each other like, no, this can't be happening. And we said, yeah. It's called getting saved. The Holy Spirit indwells you. Christ comes in you. I've never done that. Well, he did that day. He went back to Kansas City and resigned his post because he's a new believer. Went to work at at 7 Eleven, and he said that he was going to stay working at 7 Eleven until God says he's ready to go back into the ministry because he's a new believer. And he built the second largest church in Kansas City. Well, God really doesn't care what your fame status is or how good you are at preaching the words of Christ. We need to be preachers of the word who is Christ, who came to dwell among us so we could be old as glory internally. Identity is critical. Jump down to verse 10. He says, For to us, God revealed them. Your them should be in italic. That means it's whoever you're speaking to. So when I'm in a counseling office, the them is the the counselee across my desk. Today, you guys are the them. It's whoever is in front of you is the them. So he says, for to us, and he's speaking of the Christians who are proclaiming the message of truth. God revealed them, the people, through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. As I'm preaching right now, the Holy Spirit is searching your minds, your bodies, your life. And the Holy Spirit says, Steve, if you really want to do preaching, I will give you that knowledge. And as you preach, you will actually begin to address real issues within the room. It's spiritually empowered preaching. That's all it is. Have you ever sat there and and you and you were saying to yourself, This guy's been reading my emails? Or He's speaking right to me. Oh God, this must be for me today. That's why you say those things. The Spirit is searching. And the willing participant as a preacher, teacher is saying, Bring it, God. I don't don't know what illustrations to use. I don't know what details to use. Please bring me what they're thinking. And He does. How does He do it? next verse tells us. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man, and thoughts should be in italics as well? And you will not find a Greek word on that word, because there's no such thing as thoughts of man. They had to put this in the verse, because there's either the thoughts of God behold, your thoughts are not my thoughts, my ways are not your ways. There's either thoughts of God or thoughts of the enemy. That's what temptation is. He is throwing his thoughts at you, and that's what deliverance is. God is throwing or giving you his thoughts, renewal of mind. So here, here Paul is saying, "For who among uh, men knows the thoughts of man except for the Spirit, not the mind, not the brain." The spirit of the man which is in him. Even so the thoughts of God. No one knows the thoughts of God except for the spirit of God. Then he says, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak, not taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by spirit, Combining spiritual what? Thoughts with spiritual words. Guys, I think we're going to get to heaven and we're going to realize we were very incompetent. And all these opinionated thoughts we had and and self-proclaimed ideas and copywriting my way and my books and my this and my ideas and whatever we're going to realize, saved or unsaved, all of us are going to bow. And we are going to confess Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And these thought things are nothing but an illusion. It is a lie. It's a deception from the enemy. It's either spiritual thoughts on God's side, or spiritual thoughts of man, Adamic man, which means of the enemy. Paul himself won't even refer, as brilliant as he was, would not even refer to man as his mind. He was his spirit. So identity, oh, this is critical. Very critical. So when we put these prayers out there each week, like today is a doctrinal prayer of challenge for you to really begin to pray with the mind of Christ. It's taking Christ's words and putting them into a prayer fashion. And these questions that are in your homework assignment are for me to get to know how you've been trained. And how you've been wounded. So if you could take a few minutes sometime this week, jot down your answers and bring those next week. That's going to be very helpful. So here's our review. One, without the embrace of one mind, there is no unity. Without us being unified in spirit, the Holy Spirit, there's not going to be any unity. To argue and wrangle and debate with someone about their opinion of a verse versus yours, you should immediately step back from it. Because they are about to join the enemy. You just don't do it. If they're really hungry and thirsty and saying, will you please show me this verse? What does it mean? Well, of course you show them. But if you can tell when someone is setting their jaws and getting ready to wrangle... Don't do it. You're stepping away from the tree of life and you are joining the work of the enemy. Our colleges, our churches are based on debate. One of the 13 names of Satan. You don't do it. You just stop because they're not willing, they're not open, they're not in wanting. Why does God allow so many people to go to hell? Because they're not in the wanting. They're not desirous. They're arrogant, they're stubborn, and they're opinionated. And God says, I will not partake in this. He turns His face away from it. So therefore, you have millions of people hanging out at the tree of knowledge who think they're saved, and when they die... They're going to say, But I casted out demons in your name, and I preached in your name, and I. And Jesus says, Be gone from me, for I know you not. Because they did not hang out at the tree of life alone. Just no additives, just the tree of life. That message of truth, guys, is lost. We have made salvation so mushy and fluid and emergent. People don't even people think if they just sit in a pew and read their bible once in a while and say they follow Jesus, you can follow Jesus all the days <laughs> of your life and you're still going to hell. You have to have Christ in you. To transfer. There are millions of people who, are, who call themselves Christ followers. It doesn't mean you're in wealth That's why Laodicea is so deceived. They're Christ followers. Then they turn Christ into whatever emergent God they want him to be. He's full of love and... He doesn't mind if I get a divorce. And I've murdered someone, so that's okay. He forgave me. And it's just all la, 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 la. And they turn Christ into this horrible, soft shoed person. And he is a judge. He wasn't when he was on earth. But guys, you better fasten your seatbelts. Because when he comes back, He is going to be judge. And you and I are going to assist him in the judgment. This is no soft shoe phase we're we're entering. So we're trying to turn Jesus walking on the earth days into his end time days. But if you read his end time days, you see fire in his eyes, drawn sword. The sword's on fire. He's, He's righteously angry. It's a whole different Jesus. So we need to be prepared for both sides of the gospel. Love and love. Love here is I did not come to judge. Yeah, that was when he walked the face of the earth before he got to the cross. But the second coming, the word says he is coming to judge. But the Laodicean emergent types are saying, no, he's not. He's going to stay the same. That's why they don't recognize him. That's why the Antichrist is accepted is because he's going to act like the first Christ, the first replication of God's face on earth of not judging. And they're going to say, oh, you're him. Oh, I knew those radical Christians were nuts. You're him. Because he's going to act like Christ, not Jesus Christ. He's going to act like Christ. A messiah a leader of peace, not war. What were the Muslims crying out in Egypt? All million five of them? I tried to memorize it there in their language. I end up spitting on my desk too much. But what they were saying was Bring us our world peacekeeper. But he must be Muslim. So this new guy that they're bringing in to he's 84 or something and they're thinking about maybe he's the he. (coughs) Well, he's probably proactive in bringing this world peacekeeper in but they truly believe the Antichrist which we call the Antichrist they're going to call the Christ is going to be a Muslim leader. I do too. I believe he has to have the blood of Abraham. But it's it's not going to be Jewish. Yeah, so if you remember all the bubbles kind of, there's kind of an amazing thing that happens even with bubbles, is that when they touch each other, they attach. It's kind of like fleshly forms of self-pleasure with another person. If you catch my drift. It's fun, it's attaching, it feels like love, acts like love or whatever, but it's not love. That's what those bubbles do when they all collect. So the Antichrist movement in the end, you'll see millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of bubbles come together into one large globe. The Christians will be these deserted ones and they will be one bubble. Inside that bubble, literally that is the illustration that is used in the New Jerusalem in that cube. We're all in one city, one bubble. There's going to be millions of opinions gathered together, sticking together to form the end time religion. But in reality, it's the same thing that Babylon, Nimrod said this to his people. You can worship any God you want. Every day of the week, of the year, except for one day. One day out of the year, you must come to the center of the city, bow down and worship this statue who happened to be Nimrod's wife. Which is where the end times in the book of Revelation, they get the connection, the Hebrew word picture of the great red whore. It is the wife of Nimrod. So, One day out of the year he wanted loyalty to his wife. The rest of the days they can hug a rock, hug a tree, worship the stars, do whatever they wanted to do. Just one day. Because he knew one idolization will destroy their loyalty to God. Just one. He was a very empowered man. From the wrong resource. And his kingdom will come back. Three, what's the Hebrew word, Hebrew word picture of unity? A strongly fenced door. Hebrew word picture for holy is to remove the chaff. Next point is sacrifice was to be willing to be a victim. And I think the story we used was Isaac. He was the willing party. It wasn't Abraham. Abraham and probably Sarah fought the whole thing. But Isaac, Israel, was the illustration of willing victim. Service was to be ministrated by God, ministered to by God then you become a vessel for God to minister to someone through you. Not go to seminary, learn how to do it, and go do it. It is letting the mind of Christ in you be empowered by the Holy Spirit to do it through you. And then we talked about conform, which is a double vision to a single vision. That's what Janie was talking about, going from your eyes are actually seeing two separate things and they will until you die. They'll never be unified. Never. There's no recorded case anywhere of both eyes seeing the same thing. They're always off somewhere because it's how they're made by God. Both see something completely separate. When you're talking to someone and their eyes are kind of cockeyed, it looks like one's going that way, and one's looking at you, and how uncomfortable that makes you feel, their mind is interpreting it as seeing just one. If they're trained. If their eyesight's that bad. Some are not, and they have double vision. Because their mind, something in their mind is not able to do this. It takes the mind to find the point of unity. And the human mind is not going to do it. So the world, through the Greek, is satanic empire. Renewal, we talked about, is the renovation. It's an identity lift. It's a facelift. So when it talks about renewal of mind, there's a facelift. There's a thought lift. It's getting rid of the Adamic thoughts and giving you the mind of Christ. Grace is divine influence upon the heart. Number 11 think is to esteem oneself higher than man. So thinking is not even a healthy word in the Bible. It's an opinion. Go look it up yourself. The the definition of think is always bad. Who wants to be a puppet for Jesus? Jesus was a puppet, using a modern terminology. He said, whatever I think are not my thoughts, they are of the Lord, the Father. Whatever I say, they're not my words. What I say is of the Father. What you see me do, it's not me who does it, it's my Father. He was simply a vessel used to bring out God's thoughts, God's Word. And that's Jesus Christ, whom we call our Savior. But humans don't want to be puppets. They don't want all the same doctrines. Everyone wants their own little twist. And it is destroying the church. Instead of being unified. So the body. For just as we have many members, this is, we're back to Romans 12, so just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we, believers in Christ Jesus, and those of us who are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, who are many, are the one body in Christ, and individual member, individually members of one another. So we have these set up today for eternity the church is actually going to be in heaven the body of jesus christ the wife is to be the body of her husband's mind she is to be living out his thoughts she's to be carrying out his ways she's to be walking forth his truth he head of home is to be getting it from Jesus Christ in him crucified godly leadership as Christ is head of the church his body so is man head of his wife I'll add his children the reason why I have to add his children is because it's a new concept today back in Jesus' day when you said wife it meant her children she was one with her children So when he is head of his wife, it is saying he is head of his family. Today we have to clarify it because that theology is so far away from the church. This is the body. Every muscle, every tendon, every gland, the eye, the nose, we are a very, very simply made body complex machine. I'm not sure any human mind can really get their arms around this. But to have every single cell, fiber, tissue, muscle, breath, everything about the human body All completely signed on to each other to say, "Oh, Finney's moving his hands when he's preaching. Maybe we can get a little leg action in there. Maybe we." And everything is obedient to something. What is it? The mind. If something happened to my mind, my my arm will will start to drag. Or my that's why when you have strokes. You're, you, you, you start limping or you start... Well, if something happens to the mind, the body will not be obedient. God made us this way to communicate the church. There's nothing ever going to happen to the mind of Christ. Ever. He's as healthy and clear-headed as can be. And the body of Christ can actually sign on to 100% obedience to the mind of Christ. Then he says in Philippians 2, Oh, then I'll put this mind in you so that you cannot rely upon your own thoughts and own ways, but you can rely upon the thoughts of Jesus Christ in you and be obedient 100%. So many members, all different function, all need to work together. When one part is down, others pick up the slack. Isn't that called being sick? It's going blind, your 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 hearing increases. You go deaf, your eyes increase. You know when you get a headache and you want someone to rub this muscle here, the damage is over here. It's because this shoulder is carrying The responsibility because something's wrong here. The whole body is designed this way. So, whatever, wherever the pain is, go to the opposite place. If you did that in the church, in the community, you would actually attack the real issues in the community. Poverty. It's going to be a mission of our our little fellowship. Where's the issue? Opposite is the wealthy. So I am strategically placing myself in the community to get to the wealthy. And I am praying that God brings the wealthy in my office or me to them to minister the power of God to the wealthy, not for their money. They can keep their money. The worst kind of giving in the world, my experience in 32 years of ministry, is money from wealthy people. They are selfish they have conditions on their money, usually. And I would prefer a dime from a poverty widow. Any day of the week. Because God's the multiplier of that dime. But ministry, you got to go to the opposite. So where the pain is, very quickly, find the opposite. Put oil ointment, icy hot on the pain... Because you've got to get that to relax. But work the opposite. It's a principle, I'm telling you, will change your ministry. And it's true. The key is here all parts make up the complete body of Jesus Christ. Now, if if the toes are Muslim and the ankle is Buddhist, you have bought into the Antichrist movement. There's no Buddhist toes. There's no separate religious parts. They are all one in Christ Jesus. So the enemy is using what I'm saying to you today to get others to form themselves around the doctrines of oneness. Because they do make sense. If this room is filled with unsaved people... It makes sense to them what I'm saying, the body. But they'd say, "Well, I I know people that are toes and they're Muslims, and and over here, you know, they're charismatic Christians, and over here, they're they're Buddhists and whatever." So I've just learned to accept all faiths. But there's one God. Yeah, and I know whose mind that is. There's only one true. Religious, poor, doctrinal mind in eternity, and that is Satan. And there's only one pure mind, and that is God, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, which are one. Okay, Romans 12, 6-8 says, Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly, if prophecy according to the portion of his faith, if service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in the exhortation, he who gives with liberty, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. So, here's how this whole thing works, guys. This is us the moment after salvation. The Holy Spirit it actually comes inside our mortal bodies. This is not weird stuff. This is Salvation 101. Christ in you and you in Christ. That is the definition of salvation. It's not following Jesus Christ around in a church. So the Holy Spirit comes inside your mortal body. Inside this mind. It's not in your toes or in your, your gallbladder or in your gut. It's in the mind. And through this position of the mind of Christ in you now, we can have this. The Holy Spirit works in the mind of Christ in the believer. He will not work through the mind of the Adamic nature. Does your brain go to heaven when you die? Tori's right. No. No it lays in the casket with your body. Your brain is an actual encasement for the mind of Christ. Where your loyalty is when you die is where you're going. If your mind has become one with the mind of Satan, you're going to hell. If your mind is become faithful and loyal and one with Jesus Christ, you're going to heaven. It's kind of simple. So the Holy Spirit only works through the mind of Christ. Activates the gifts that God placed in in their mortal body, which are born with. There are unsaved people that are very gifted, and it appears that they're very christian but their gifts are gifts from God, but they're being empowered by the enemy instead of by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit empowers these gifts and then uses the body to carry out the deeds and the will of God. That's the simple plan of this scripture. So here's the next word we're going to be dissecting in 12.9 is love. So let love be without hypocrisy, abhor what is evil, Claim to what is good. So love is affection, touch, embrace, and charity. If you just looked at affection, touch, and embrace, could you say that unsaved people could have that? Yeah, it's their bubbles touching. And when a lot of these emergent people who are going to emergent churches saying, well, they just love me the way I am. I don't. I don't like your identity. I don't like your sinful nature. In fact, I hate your flesh. Now, if you talk like that to someone who's knocking on the door to an emergent church, we're talking serious rejection. Here's what Jesus said. For he who hates his own flesh, Jesus commands us to hate our own style of affection. He who loves his life will lose it. You see, Jesus wants me to hate my flesh. The things I want. My desires. And he does not want me attached to myself. He wants me attached to him. He wants my affections on my husband, Jesus Christ. He wants my touch on from my husband. He wants my embrace from my husband. Then when I give to my wife it is righteously giving what was given to me. That's how it's supposed to work. Number two, hypocrisy in this verse. Hypocrisy from the Greek means holding secrets. It's a very disseminating attitude. It's kind of like kind of like disguising yourself, camouflaging, faking it. Hypocrisy does not go with real love, but hypocrisy goes with fake love. Because you have to lie about it and cheat. That's why in marriage you call it cheating on each other. Secrets. It destroys. It's dishonest. And it's hypocrisy because it does not join itself with the truest definition of God in First John. It says, for God is Love. He is the definition of love. Hypocrisy says, For I am love. I love you. That's why our joke, Jane and I's joke for 30 plus years of marriage has been, I got you. That's our joke. I got you, honey. Because the truest definition of love is saying I give God to you. No, we've bought into all these secrets and lies and camouflage and covering up. And it has nothing to do with real love. In fact, it's evil. So to abhor something is to detest. It means I refuse to be tested by Satan. That's abhorring. No, I won't be tested in loyalty toward you. When you detest something, you are truly hating it. If I detest my flesh, I hate myself. Those words are out of Jesus' mouth, not mine. You detest it. Abhor is like the word picture for abhor is to be in another camp. I will not be in this camp with you. I abhor it. I detach. I detest. That's why in the New Testament we're not even told to eat with certain people. You're to detach, to abhor. That's why the salvation passage in Revelation thirteen two, where or three, where it talks about, "Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and lets me in, I will what? I will come in and dine with you." Jesus knows dining is an intimate experience. He's saying, I will not abhor you. I will not detest you. But you have to ask. Evil, which is malignant, it's like cancer. It just spreads. You don't need to sell it, promote it, billboards. It's just cancer. You can sit back and not do anything about reconciling with someone. And it will spread like cancer and kill everything in its path. That's evil. doesn't need the work of man. <coughs> it's a cancer all by itself. Okay, next word. Next verse. Devoted. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. And our words are devoted, which means cherish. And it is actually being kindred attached to family. One body. Now, Satan has a body. He does. And you'll see it in the end times. You'll see people very, very, very faithful and loyal to his mind as one body. Many religions But just one day, just one day, he's asking everyone to bow down and say, Satan, you are God. Just one day, that's it. Any other day, you can hug your rocks. But today, you say, I worship you, Satan. No. We worship Jesus Christ and Jesus alone. But that's what he wants. Just one day. And by the way, he will get that. All those who followed him in the end, he'll get his one day, and that'll be it. And then the rest will be punishment and eternal con- condemnation for eternity. He won't even get to be around his followers. Loyalty is huge when you're devoted to family. You just gotta choose which mind, which head of the home you're serving. Preference to lead the way for others. Honor. Honor is basically paying your debt. It's a financial term. When you honor your father, you're saying he has got a clean bill of health, spiritually, psychologically, and financially. When someone is in debt, it's difficult to honor them. When someone owes someone something else, it's difficult to honor them. So, when someone holds a grudge against you, it's hard to honor them. That's why dishonor is introduced is because of unreconciliation or a debt that has not been paid. So, to truly honor someone, you're saying, you're paid up. In my mind, you're paid up. Even if they did do something to hurt you, you're saying, you're paid up. You have value to me again. Diligence. Diligence is not lagging behind. Indiligence, being fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Lagging means tardy in the Greek. Late, sluggard. A sluggard is someone who has a broken knee. The word picture is a broken stick. He can't even lean on his own uh, crutch. So he's really, truly lame. He's snapped at the at the knee and his own cane isn't even holding him anymore. That's a sluggard. That's the picture of a Hebrew sluggard. There's nothing to support him anymore. He's a goner. And that's why he's always late. He's not thinking proactively in a plan with God. God's not directing his steps. He's just wandering in a field like Cows finding another kernel of corn to eat. And he moves to get the other cows to come over. I found some more kernels. Oh, he's got corn. They wander over. They eat corn together. Watch wandering. No purpose. Diligence is the opposite of that. It's speedy. It's quick. And then fervent is just to glow. The person glows. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is pretty bright. And then serving is to be a bond slave on purpose. I want to be in bondage to Christ. It's a volunteer slavery. So here's our conclusion. Without the embrace of one mind, there simply is no unity. There can't be. Okay, here is our prayer for today. And as usual, I'm just going to read it and then challenge you, hopefully, before you go to bed tonight, the prayer is in your communique. But hopefully before you go to bed tonight that you will be willing to pray this doctrinal prayer before God. But it is blessed Holy Father... Remember what the word holy means? There is no impurities in our our Abba. So when we are saying blessed, I know that we ask God to bless our food and bless our sister, bless our brother, and we we talk like that. But in the truest sense of blessing, that is an impossibility. Paul used the term, Peter used the term, others it is actually, in the Greek, it is come partake with God's blessings. But a blessing is rendering back to the owner what belongs to him. So when you're saying, blessed Holy Father, you're saying, this is because of you. And if he wants us to share in that holiness, then that's his prerogative. So, in the name of my husband, which is Jesus, it's kind of weird for us men, but we men learn how to be women from our women. So, if our women are acting like, you know what, then men start acting that way. So, the best way for a woman to change her man to be woman to Christ is through her purity and loyalty and reverence. This is right out of Peter. But see, the wandering eyes are oftentimes because the man does not understand that he is to respond to Jesus Christ as a woman, but he's to respond to his wife and children in the world, earthy. As a man. So a man has got a tough role. He has to learn to be man to the physical world. He has to respond as a woman to Jesus Christ. And he learns how to do that by watching his wife. But if she is independent and opinionated and whatever, then he goes silent, quiet because she's serving as a God figure. We need to refer to Jesus Christ in our prayers as our husband. Let our children and grandchildren hear this. Dear Lord Jesus Christ, my beloved husband, I love you. I serve you. I honor you. Then he's also 224 other names. Satan's got 13 names. God's got 43. And Jesus, our husband, has 225 names. He, he pretty much covers it. He's quite capable. Names are to describe competence. So now, he's our husband and Savior, Jesus Christ. I choose to pray in the light of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit means light, means empowerment, means coming in woo, fervent, you know? We just covered that. In the light of the Holy Spirit, I recognize that only as Jesus lives his life, supposed to be in my mortal body, will I be able to escape the works of my flesh. The flesh is the mirrored image of Satan. That's why we're to hate it. When we stand in front of the mirror with our flesh, we're seeing the characteristics of Satan. When we stand in front of the mirror as born-again Christians, we are seeing the reflection of Jesus Christ. That's why the flesh has to lay in the casket and why our spiritual... Our soul, so to speak, goes on toward heaven. But all that other, it does not join. We're given a brand new body. So, I desire the Holy Spirit to bring all the works of my flesh, the reflections of the enemy, to death. I choose to bring all the work of the co-crucifixion, Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. I'm in the process of doing a graphic with hundreds of faces on the cross because it is a picture of co-crucifixion. God wants nothing to do with it. He doesn't want it blended. He doesn't want it mixed in with these fancy churches. It, it, he abhors the face of our flesh. Hates it. We should do. And the crucifixion of Christ into my life today. I pray that the life of Christ may produce his fruit within my whole being and fill my heart with your love for you and others. I claim your forgiveness for all the ways I have grieved or or squelched, quenched you. Enable me to embrace and respond to your grace. And that's influence. Cause me to be obedient to your precious word. Grant me discernment to resist being deceived by the lies of the enemy. I choose this day to allow the Holy Spirit to control my heart and my mind. I trust my victory over my I trust my victory over my flesh, worldly influences, and completely yield my life to you. I'm wearing what they call an FM microphone. It's hooked up to a computer in there. There's two little antennas that stick out on my amplifier. It is picking up my voice and recording it onto the computer. If you think that through, that's that's amazing. Your flesh is the antenna of the enemy. He speaks it and your flesh pulls it in. Believes it. My spirit life is the antenna. Holy Spirit of Christ. It's just where you're getting your your thoughts. That's it. It's real simple. It's happening right there in that room. So, in finishing, I now pray that you will empower me to bring praise and adoration before your throne. Father, we thank you that you sent your son, our husband, to be the victorious king. And we thank you, God, for the empowerment that you provide us through the Holy Spirit. Father, I pray that you would please take the words that came from your mind and make them very clear for the children. I pray, Father, you will cause the children to ask their mothers or fathers or or grandparents questions that will help them understand the truth that will set them free. But, Father, even if they don't, I do believe that your Spirit has the ability to show them the truth. So, Father, we reject every form of lie that the enemy may try to push upon us. And we only accept the truth that sets us free. And I pray, Father God, that this little body would be unified and be a little bit of the representation, Father, of the body of your Son. And now I just pray, Father God, that you would lead us throughout this week, guide us and direct us in everything that we say, everything that we do, everything that we study, and everything, Father, that you have on your will your list for us to accomplish in this day so we thank you father in jesus name amen thank you for joining us today heartland family fellowship is a local church plant here in sterling kansas our fellowship includes the family and all levels of worship Our mission is to bring families back together spiritually, relationally, and physically. Many people ask us, what does that really mean, or how does it benefit them? Well, it means that you can bring your entire family to any of Heartland's events, and we will work to keep the focus on God, Jesus Christ, and the body of Christ, without dividing up the family at the front door. If you're interested in learning more about our fellowship or other family-integrated fellowships, please log on to our website. That is www.heartlandfellowships.org.